Awesome. How are we doing, Equippers? We good? Awesome. Come on, can we give it up for Jesus this morning and we'll make some noise this morning? Hey, let me pray and then I'll invite you to take a seat. Father, we want to thank you for this moment. We don't just want to come to a service, hear a message, but we thank you that your words are life. We pray that you'd speak into every heart in this place, whether we've been walking with you for years or we've come here to seek you or we don't even believe in you wherever we're at. Father, we thank you that you can meet us where we're at. And we just invite your Holy Spirit to do something significant, something supernatural in our lives this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can you high five your neighbor? Take a seat if you haven't already. Do you guys high five here in England? I'm trying to get used to uh, English ways here. I kind of already learned happy days. Happy days. Happy days. days. Uh, I'm trying to get a little bit familiar with, um, it was actually quite nice. My wife and I are on sabbatical and um, I got a word at the start of the year around taking a break. We've been pastoring for um, a, a while now, probably about 18 years or something. I know I look way too young, but um, and um, but and it coincided with us being married for 20 years. She definitely looks way too young for that. I kind of married her when she was 10 years old, but um, if you're trying to do the mass here this morning, but um, got a word at the start of the year around taking a sabbatical, which is kind of just a flash Christian way of taking a holiday or a break. I don't know what you're supposed to do, but it sounds way more spiritual when you say sabbatical. And um, I think our church is expecting me to come back with some great revelation, but I've just had a great time, a great rest, and um, she didn't need a lot of convincing to take a, take a break. And so we've been over in Europe for a while. We've been in Paris and uh, through France and Rome. And so it's definitely nice to come back to a place where people drive on the left side of the road and speak English, uh, which is awesome. But uh, so good to be here with you this morning. My name's John. We, uh, my wife and I started a church called Legacy Church eight years ago. And um, God gave us a word to, so we were leading a church uh, to come out of that church and uh, start something from scratch. So we started with like eight people in a room eight years ago and, and um, had a real, God gave us a word around reaching the particularly broken. Come on, sounds exciting. How many people know there's, a, there's always a difference between the picture and the reality? Hey, it's like marriage. I don't know, you could walk into our house and we've got a great picture of our marriage there, but how many people know that there's a difference between the picture and the reality? Come on, just want to preach to some single people this morning, eh? Come on, there's a difference because when you're married, you've got to go to work and come home and go to work again, eh? Come on, to make a good marriage work. Come on, I don't know, preaching to any married people. I don't know, you guys are a bit quiet this morning. Don't want to be real in church, but some of you look like you had communion for breakfast. I don't know about you, I had communion for breakfast and came to church, but, and so um, there's definitely a picture, but a difference between the picture of reaching lost and broken people and the reality of reaching lost and broken people, eh? And um, we've had all sorts of crazy things happen. We've seen big gang members smack down under the power of God delivered and people healed. And we've also had crazy incidents where people have been kidnapped at Needlepoint. But anyway, hey, let me get on to the word of God this morning. And because uh, all of that stuff comes together and part of reaching lost and broken people. But uh, one of the great things that I love about what we get to do and what God's called us to do reaching broken people is broken people come into church and often they're just super hungry. And I don't know, one of the things I've learned is that God will meet with a messed up person who's like breaking into houses, who's addicted to crack, who's hungry before he'll meet with a churchy who's doing everything right but doesn't feel their need for him. Come on, have I got any hungry people in the building this morning? eh? I never want to get to a place as a preacher where I'm not moved by the gospel. 
uh, where I can intellectually quote the gospel, but I'm not moved by the fact that Jesus loves me. And, and I never want to get to a place where I don't feel my need for God anymore, where I feel like I've been preaching for a little while, but I never want to get to a place where I think I know how to do this and I don't need God, or I think I know how to do the Christian thing and I don't need God. I always want to feel my need for God. Come on, God's not looking for religious activity. He's looking for a heart that's hungry for Him. Come on, He's looking for things like expectation. Come on, that's why two people can be sitting in the same room and one person's getting into it and the other guy's like, man, when's this guy going to stop? Hey, I've only just got started. This is my introduction, man. But because God responds to a heart that's hungry. He responds to a heart of expectation, eh? It's one of the encouraging things about the gospel as it meets all of us where we're at, but one of the challenging things about the gospel, because it doesn't matter how much we know, God's not looking, we're not going to get to God and he's going to make us sit down on what we know. God, the, God's looking at our hearts to see a hunger and see a dependence on him, eh? Yeah, amen. Um, but so good to be here, um, celebrating, like I said, celebrating 20 years of marriage, it's, it's awesome, and we've got a couple of kids here, come on, give her a clap for that. Especially those first few years. Can we give her another clap for the first couple of years? You know, just the first couple of years, you know, like, I don't know, I pastor a church and all these guys have got these amazing stories of how they weren't a Christian, their marriage was messed up, and then they came to Christ and God fixed their marriage up. We were Christians and our marriage was messed up. And, you know, people say that the first year of marriage, he talks, she listens. The second year of marriage, she talks and he listens. The third year of marriage, they both talk and the neighbors listen. But I don't know, we just went straight to year three and I knew it was serious when she was standing at the door and she's like, hey, man, I don't know whether I want to be married to you anymore. And she's yelling like, and I'm like, babe, keep it down. The neighbors will hear. But come on, God can do something amazing, eh? You know, we never want to get too, too like churchy in church, eh? We always want to create a place where people can feel like they can come as they are. You know, and, and in church, one of the things we often say to our church is it's okay not to be okay. And it doesn't matter whether you've just walked in the door, it's okay not to be okay. Or whether you've been following Jesus for like years, we actually still need to create space where it's okay not to be okay. Because sometimes life can just smack you in the guts and wind you. And you're like, man, you've been following Jesus, but something happens that you never expected to happen. And you don't know how you're going to get through what you're, gonna, what you're going through, eh? And we've got to create spaces in church that are free from expectation. Come on, churches always need volunteers. But we never want to create a culture of expectation, eh? We always want to create a culture where it's okay to come and just be as you are and find an amazing God who will meet you right where you are. Come on, he won't leave you where you are, but he'll meet you where you are, eh? Come on, I want to honor your pastors, Barry and Sarah. I know they're not here, but can we put our hands together for them and just kind of thank them and always... An honor to be entrusted with someone's pulpit that they've worked years to, to build. And so just want to acknowledge them. And, uh, you know, how many people know that in the kingdom, submission will take you further than ambition. And um, it's important to honor people. But I want to preach this morning uh, from Genesis. I haven't started preaching with my introduction. From Genesis, just in case you thought I was going to land um, the plane, send the keyboardist up quickly. But um, I want to preach from Genesis chapter 6. So uh, I sent through a couple of... Um, a couple of notes, if I think they're going to come through, but if you've got your iPhone, then kind of whip it out. If you've got an Android, just keep it in your pocket. It's hurting you socially. But just, here we go. Genesis chapter 6, reading from 
Genesis 6. I think it's 18. It might come up 9. I sent you through the wrong thing. I'm sure it's 6. It might be 9. Anyway, I'm going to read and try and find it in your Bible. It's somewhere in the first part of Genesis before you get to Joseph. Here we go. The Bible says this. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Can I get an amen this morning? No, nah, just joking, man. Just joking. Just testing, seeing if you're following, eh? <laughs> the Bible is awesome, man. I love the Bible, eh? Great stuff in the Bible. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked, told his two brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it across their shoulders, and then walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. I want to preach just from that scripture this morning on the simple thought that love covers. That love covers. Come on, I'm used to preaching to a vocal church, so you're allowed to like say uh, amen. You're allowed to say, come on. You're allowed to encourage the preacher. You're allowed to say, preacher, preacher. You're even allowed to stand up if you don't agree. If you agree with anything, you're allowed to say amen. If you don't agree, just keep it to yourself. But come on, if you agree with something, then uh, I want to encourage you to encourage the preacher. But I want to preach this morning just on the simple thought that love covers. And I love this passage in the Bible because God is going to destroy the, the, the world. I don't particularly love that part, but God is going to destroy the world. And we, this is a kid's story like in our kid's church, but it's a pretty brutal story. And, um, and God comes down and tells Noah, he says, I want you to build an ark according to the exact measurements that I give you. And, and um, it's something like 510 feet long or something. And this huge ark, it has one window in the top because when we're going through a storm, God wants us to look up and and so he tells him to build this ark, and Noah builds the ark, gets his family on the ark. He comes out after the flood, and, and Noah, like a good God-fearing man, the first thing he does is plant a vineyard, make some home brew, and he gets hammered. And, um, you know, it's a, a crazy story. And, and then, so, so he's drunk. He's lying naked in his tent, which is just a good reason not to get drunk right there, eh, because... When you get drunk, you tend to take your clothes off, and, and that kind of doesn't always end well. And so this is Noah. He's like lying naked, and, and his boy Ham hears about it, and he goes out and tells the rest of the world, which is only Shem and Japheth at the time. But he tells everybody all about it. Come on, Dad is naked. He's drunk. He's lying. He's, look at our Dad. He's an embarrassment. And then I love Shem and Japheth because they hear about it, and they walk into the tent backwards. They don't even want to look at their father's nakedness. They walk in backwards with a robe and cover his nakedness. You know, Noah wakes up in the morning and calls a family meeting. And the first thing he does is pronounce a curse on Ham's child, Canaan. He says, cursed be Canaan. He's going to be a slave to his brothers. But blessed be Japheth and blessed be Shem. And, and the principle of this kind of 
the story really is that when we're in relationship with other people, you're going to see their nakedness. Come on, when you're in relationship, every husband is, come on, you marry the good, the bad, and the ugly. Come on, every wife, you marry the good, the bad, and the ugly. You get the gold, but you also get the dirt. Come on, you get all of it. When you're in relationship with other people, come on, when you join a church community, come on, I, say, I often say to our church, everyone looks good from a distance. Come on, every church looks awesome from a distance, but the more you get involved, you see that, that every church has problems. Come on, if you're visiting this morning, I don't want to kind of burst your bubble straight away, but this is the reality of relationship with other people. And, and the simple thought, because I'm a, like Forrest Gump, I'm a bit of a simple man. Come on, the simple thought that I've got this morning is that when we're in relationship with other people, we've got to learn to cover other people's weaknesses. Come on, if we want to, come on, that deserves a clap. If we want to live in the flow and the blessing of God, we've got to learn to cover weakness instead of criticize weakness and criticize failure. I'm not talking about condoning sin or ignoring injustice. I'm talking about having the right attitude towards other people's failures, shortcomings, and weaknesses. You know, I grew up um, seven houses down the road from my cousins. And the great thing about having cousins is when you've got no friends, you've always got cousins. And so, um, like, I did a lot of things with my cousins. It kind of tells you about my social life. But I did a lot of things with my cousins. I, I, I found one friend and I married her. But, um, but you know, like, uh, and I remember we, we'd do heaps of stuff with my cousins. I remember one time we were down at this park down the, the bottom of our road. And uh, we were exploring the park. I was pretty young at the time. I think I was probably around like 10 or so years old. And, and there was a stream there. And I went to walk over the stream and I stepped on a wasp nest. Man, and out from nowhere came this massive swarm of wasps. Man, all around me, it's kind of like the movies, eh? Like, swarm of wasps. And I started running, not sure whether that was effective or not, but I, I just, because they can fly. And so I started running, and then they just, they started getting up inside my shirt and stinging me hard out. All these wasps were stinging me. My older cousin saw it, so he went and retrieved a massive stick, and he started trying to shoo the wasps away. But while he was shooing the wasps away, he was hitting me at the same time. And so I'm getting stung, and this adrenaline comes through my body, and so I rip off my shirt like the Incredible Hulk to reveal my washboard abs. And um, come on, go with me this morning, and you've got to use your imagination a little bit in church, and, and, and like to try and get these wasps out, and I was like, it's a crazy moment. And my cousin's still whacking me. I, I look back on that moment. And I'm not sure what was worse, being stung by wasp or repeatedly violated by that stick. I'm not sure. I'm still trying to figure that out. But I reckon sometimes that's what it can be like in life. Come on, sometimes there can be people that are being attacked by the enemy, and there's other people around them. Instead of helping them, they're hurting them. Come on, we're always called to be part of the solution, never part of the problem. Come on, just want to preach this morning on the whole thought that love covers because I think one of the most powerful things that we can do as a church is build a unified church come on how many people know the enemy goes to unity and he, and he always goes after unity not primarily to separate friendships but to stop the oil from flowing because that's what Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity there God commands the blessing even life forevermore come on a unified church will grow a unified church will have oil and miracles. A unified church will take ground and a unified church will see souls being saved. 
Come on, there's something incredibly powerful about a unified church. You don't need to be the, uh, the most talented church, but a unified church will have oil in it. Come on, how many people know that people in the world are not looking for better preaching? I tell you, there's people in the world, they're not right now on a Sunday morning looking for like w which church in like England has the best preaching or which church in and Essex has the best preaching. People in the world aren't looking for better worship. And you guys got amazing worship and I'm sure amazing preaching. But people in the world aren't looking for that. They're looking for genuine community. And they're looking for a real, the power of God that can fix and meet them in their brokenness. Come on, I've never, we, we meet a lot of guys that are messed up on crack and addicted to drugs. And I've never had one of them come up to me and say, uh, I've, I've never gone up to one of them and said, hey bro, you shouldn't be smoking crack. And I've never, I've probably said that a few times, but I've never had one of them come back and say, man, thanks so much for telling me. I wish someone had told me years ago. I'm going to give up immediately. I've never had that happen. But I can, I can tell you story after story after story of people who have walked into an environment like this, had an encounter with the oil of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and been radically set free and delivered from their addiction. And that's the power of unity. That's the power of a unified community. That's the power of a group of people who say, yeah, I could see your weakness, but I'm going to choose to cover instead of criticize. Come on, I'm going to choose to love you because I'm broken. Come on, all of us are a little bit munted. Hey, we've all got stuff in our life, and I'm going to choose to cover instead of criticize. Come on, I reckon things can blow up in this church if we're committed to unity. If we're committed to walking together with imperfect people, having plenty of grace for imperfect people. I just want to share four thoughts from this story on how to walk in love. First thought is, these are simple, real practical. Come on, I love preaching practical. I reckon the gospel should change our Monday, not just all be about Sunday and services. In fact, if we read the gospel, there's very little said in the gospel about this 90 minutes on Sunday which is interesting because if Christians divide, it's normally over what happens in this 90 minutes on a Sunday. Come on, style of worship, and I don't like this, and I don't like that about the, come on, but, but most of the New Testament talks about how we treat one another outside the 90 minutes on a Sunday. Not saying this isn't important, it is. It's how family get together, which helps build unity. First thought is that if we want to cover one another, we need to focus on what's good. Real simple for those two people that are taking notes. Focus on what's good. Now I love this. Ham went in and he looked at his father's nakedness. Shem heard about it, but they walked him backwards because they didn't want to look at their father's nakedness. Come on, what you choose to focus on will have a huge impact on your life. What you choose to focus on will have a huge impact on your relationship with your husband or wife will have a huge impact on your relationship with your boss, will have a huge impact on your relationship in this church community, huge impact on your relationship with your teenager. Yeah. Come on, what you choose to focus on matters. Yeah. I love Philippians 4. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Come on, my wife will tell you I used to be one of the most depressed people that she had ever met. I don't know why she married me. Yeah, it's like, must have been a project, eh? 
must have been I tell our guys in our church, don't marry a project, look for a partner. Hey, I must have been a project. But, but honestly, she will tell you now that I'm probably one of the most positive people that she knows. And I love that about God and the grace of God, that he can take our weaknesses and turn them into a strength. But honestly, I've had to work hard in this area to discipline my mind to focus on what is good rather than what's bad. You know, every morning a hummingbird will get up and it'll find sweet things. Every morning a vulture will get up and it'll find dead things. The crazy thing is, you know, how does a vulture go out there and find dead things and a hummingbird find sweet things? Because they both find what they're looking for. That's the thing that I've learned in life is that we find whatever we're looking for. Come on, if I'm looking for what God isn't doing, I'll find it. Come on, how many people got some things that God isn't doing in their life? Let's not think about that for too long. It's discouraging. But how many people have got some things that God is doing in their life? Come on, if we're looking for what we haven't got, we'll see it. But if we're looking for what we have got, we'll see it too. Come on, if I spend my life looking at the anointing I don't have, I'll never get out of bed in the morning. But if I look at what God has given me, come on, if I look for fault in my wife, I'll find it. But if I look for what's amazing about her, I'll find it as well. First thought is we focus on what's good. Second thought this morning is that if we're going to be a church that's unified and if we're going to be a church that covers one another, we've got to watch our words. We've got to watch our words. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Ham saw his father drunk and naked, and straight away he went and repeated the matter. There's two things worth noticing in this. First thing is that he was accurate in what he said. And even though he was right, God said he was wrong. Second thing is he wasn't necessarily spiteful in what he said. He was just loose with his lips. My voice just broke. I'm hitting puberty. Pray for me, eh? <laughs> Haven't preached for a while. I'm a little out of practice, man. <laughs> it's always a bad sign when your wife starts speaking in tongues on the front row, eh? <laughs> I love the scripture. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says this, Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment on himself, not discerning the Lord's body. It's New Testament, eh? For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. You know, in this passage here, Paul's talking to the church about communion or the Lord's Supper, and he says that when we take communion, we shouldn't take it in an unworthy manner. Come on, I want to clear up that he's not saying that we shouldn't take it if we're unworthy. Come on, how many people know that every person in this building comes to the communion table unworthy? Come on, can I get an amen on that this morning, eh? So we come to the communion table unworthy. He's not saying you, sh you shouldn't have it if you're unworthy. He's saying you shouldn't eat it or drink it in a way that's unworthy. Right. So we've got to understand the context of what was happening in this church. See, uh, wealthy people were coming and they were bringing heaps of food because communion didn't used to be a, like a one centimeter squared piece of bread in a small cup, but was a full-on meal back in the early church. And People would come, rich people would bring heaps of food and they'd get stuck in and poor people wouldn't bring much food and they'd be sitting in the corner waiting for rich people to have their share. 
And Paul says this isn't communion because this is creating division. In fact, he said, you know, this, this isn't the Lord's Supper. It would be better off if you didn't do it in the first place. He's kind of pretty hard out on them. And he says when you, when you take it, you should take it in a way that's worthy. The key thought in this passage is that he says you guys aren't discerning the Lord's body. And discerning the Lord's body just is a simple term that says we've got to recognize that the person sitting next to us is part of the body of Jesus. Come on, that's a sacred thing. I remember one day we, we used to live in this big communal house and, and um, it was a, people have got a good old days story. This is not one of those stories. And um, come on, we had people knocking on the door or not even knocking on, coming on into our room. We're still in bed. It was a crazy communal house and, and a whole bunch of Christians getting together. It was my pastor's idea, man. It's like terrible. It's my first leadership position and, and leading this communal house and I got stood down from it. It's a very discouraging experience, but I got over it and kept leading and kept having to go. And, and I remember one day in this communal house, I got really upset with my wife and I, I went to, you guys would never do this, you're way too Christian. I just want to keep it real in church this morning. I, I walked down the hallway to tell my wife about how I felt about what she did. Clearly, she was in the wrong. And so I was walking down the hallway. And as I was walking down the hallway, I heard this voice in my head say, you be careful how you talk to my daughter. Straight away, you know what I did? I turned around and walked back down the hallway. Because I had to learn to discern the Lord's body. Come on, she might be my wife, but she's his daughter before she's my wife. Come on, the person sitting next to you isn't just the, that, the such and such person. They're part of the body of Jesus. And how we treat them is how we treat Jesus. Come on, Paul knew this is what discerning the Lord's body is. It's recognizing that that person's part of the body of Jesus. And how we treat them. Anyone with kids would know that how you treat my kids is I take that personally. That's why I give gifts to my kids. Our kids... Uh, my kids FaceTimed me this morning and they're, um, they've been looked after by a couple of family friends who they're paying them like $50 to keep the bench clean. That's like 25 pounds to keep the bench clean for a week. I'm like, mate, when I get back, I'm going to come over to your place and clean your bench, man. Hey. But how many people know I said thank you even though I received none of that? You know, because how they treat my kids is how they treat me. Paul knew about this because he was on the road to Damascus and a bright light was shining so bright that it was outshone the sun and he fell off his horse while he was on the road to kill Christians. And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Come on, Jesus never said, I am Jesus and you're persecuting my church. He said, I am Jesus and you're persecuting me. Because whatever you do to the church, that's the body of Christ. That's what you do to me. That's why in our church, we will, we will never speak negative about another church. Come on, I tell our guys all the time that the church down the road is not your enemies. Come on, drugs is your enemy. Unbelief is your enemy. Poverty is your enemy. Depression and anxiety. But anything that's for Jesus, we're for it. And Paul even says, this is why many of you are sick and some of you are even falling asleep. Some of you are dying before your time. That's handy. That's pretty heavy. Because you haven't learned to recognize or discern the Lord's body. If we're going to be people who cover instead of criticize, we need to watch our words. Third thought this morning is we can learn from these guys is we want to decide to be part of the solution. 
Ham saw the problem and talked about it. How many people know that's not, very, not a very expensive strategy? <laughs> Seeing the problem and talking about it. I don't know what it's like in England, but in New Zealand. Shem and Jathus saw the problem and they did something about it. I just want to encourage you this morning. The problems that you can see, there's some problems that you can see that other people can't see. And if God's let you see it, it's because he wants you to be part of the solution. Come on, you can walk into church and see a whole bunch of things that aren't happening. If you can see it, then it's because he wants you to be part of the solution. Come on, not just to talk about the problem. It's easy to sit on the sidelines, but it takes vision, faith, and hard work to be part of the solution. Fourth thought this morning. If we want to cover, we need to learn to give grace. Come on, I don't know about you, but man, I need plenty of grace. Shem and Japheth showed grace towards their father. They didn't say what he did was right. They simply showed him grace and kindness when he didn't deserve it. Heard someone say that, you know, grace without truth is meaningless, but truth without grace is just mean. We've got to be people like Jesus who walk, who live in in the tension of grace and truth. Matthew 7, Jesus said, don't judge or you'll be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Maybe if the keys could come up or however you do that. It's an encouraging sign for you. (laughs) I normally got a, oh, look, you're awesome, you're awesome. Normally have a 20 minute outro, but uh, here we <laughs> the, um, I got two girls, and one of my oldest girls, a 12 year old. And the awesome thing about having a 12 year old, you know, when you're a dad of a young child, you feel pretty useless, eh? Because it's like, man, you can't feed them, you can't do much. And as they grow up, it's just cool being a dad. And, and um, my oldest girl's 12, and she asks lots of like great questions. and especially just before bedtime. Man, kids are awesome at stretching out their bedtime, eh? There's no one as thirsty as a child before bed. Hey, like, Dad, can I have a drink? Surely you wouldn't deny me a drink of water. It's like, oh, man, but come on, you had all day to have a drink. And and my kids, they're, they're experts at dragging out their bedtime, and they do two things. They know me too well. The first thing they do is they're like, Dad, can I scratch your back? Hey, my wife tells me off about it all the time. Don't lie down with the kids when you put them to bed. It's not good. And Dad, lie down. Can I? My girl on our, on our FaceTime this morning, she's like, Dad, I miss scratching your back. I never thought I'd say it, but I miss it. <laughs> she's going to get over that pretty soon. And the second thing they do, because they're crafty, as they ask me deep theological questions just before I'm about to put them down. Come on, and I know it's a trap. I know, I mean, I know what you're trying to do here, but I just can't resist. Well, my girl one time, she said, Dad, why do people backslide? I'm like, come on, I'm like, it's past your bedtime, but come on, it's such a good question. I'm like, okay, okay, let me explain it to you. So I gave her a four-point message right there, four points. Come on, just bang, off the hip. Like normally there's only about four points, baby. There's kind of one of the first things is people get disconnected from the church. And I know you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. 
one. How many people know, like Luther said, salvation exists outside the church, though not outside Christ. But there's a whole bunch of people saying you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And really the spirit behind that is really trying to devalue the church community. And how many people know the spirit of Jesus isn't trying to devalue the church community? Come on, because the church is the pillar and foundation of the church and the enemy's always working to get you outside community because when you buy yourself, you're vulnerable. I said to her, sometimes people just get disconnected from church, maybe distraction, maybe busyness, could be blessing, but they just get too busy. I said to my wife, you know, we were talking about it last night. I said, you know, this is why I'm so hard out about our kids being in church every Sunday. Not because I think it's a, a sin not to be in church on Sunday. I don't think it's a sin. But one day we're not going to be here and the church is still going to be here. And I want my kids to value the church. I want my kids to know that when their life is messed up, when things are going down in their life, they can run to the house of God, find a community of people that will encourage them. Long after I've gone, I want them to value the house of God. That's why we don't do things like playing sport on Sunday. We say no to all that stuff. And it's not legalism. I'm trying to instill in them a value for the house of God. It's the most precious thing I can give them isn't a house or a car or set them up financially. It's to give them something more precious than gold. It's faith. You're going to find that in the house of God. Second thing I said, baby, they get into relationships with the wrong people. And you know, if you're standing up on a chair or something and you're trying to pull somebody up, and you think, I'm going to get into a relationship with them to pull them up. It's way easier to be pulled down than it is to pull somebody up. And people are like, hey, I tell our guys all the time, we don't believe in missional dating. Hey, but sometimes people just get into a relationship with the wrong people. And one of the most spiritual things we can do is pull out our phone and swipe delete that person from our life. And third thing is sometimes people just hit a crisis. Maybe they lose kids or maybe they're going through a painful divorce and lose a mum. You know, sister-in-law was on Facebook this morning saying, man, grief is just so hard. I lost my mum and it feels like it was just yesterday. And that stuff can disorient us and knock us around and mess with our emotions and we don't know how to deal with that. And sometimes it's just so hard we tap out. I said, baby, but the most common reason people fall away in their faith is because they become critical. And they feel so justified in what they're doing because they're right, and they maybe they are right. But when you become critical, the grace stops flowing to you. As you stop extending grace to others, grace stops flowing to you. And you find yourself going through the motions, and if you're going through the motions for long enough, you'll just end up tapping out because you're like, there's no life in this. Then we start finding fault in things around us. The church isn't feeding me. This isn't. And really, the Bible says if we're good, if, if we're willing and obedient, we'll eat the good of the land. It's more around about our heart than our environment. One simple thought this morning, if we want to be people who walk in the flow of God, real practical, come on, not super spiritual, not way out there, Super practical, everyday relationships, everyday life. If we want to experience the life of Christ in our lives, we've got to get good at covering others. Come on, can we stand to our feet this morning and get something out of that?
Hopefully because I'm finished and I'm out. I'm out, man. Missed your opportunity. But what I want to do just before we wrap up is, well, maybe just in a moment of privacy. And I know it's a little bit of a challenging word. The thing with the gospel is there's always hope in the gospel. God never, sometimes he'll come into his life and, and God will come into our life and put his finger on things. But it's always with hope. It's always to bring freedom, never to judge us, never to condemn us. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn, I came to save. Sometimes that process of salvation is painful, but it's about leading us to a place of freedom. And maybe you're here this morning and you're holding on to something. Now, unforgiveness is simply just holding on to judgment towards somebody else. The way we get free is we say, gonna choose not to hold that against that person today or maybe someone has legitimately let you down maybe then you've got no apology maybe there's not a lot of hope that it's going to change God's looking for a heart response from us to say I'm not going to hold on to that anymore maybe just while every head's bowed just in a moment of privacy between you and the Lord mom what do you need to let go of this morning we don't just want to come to church hear a message we want to respond to Jesus and encounter Him in the activation of our faith. Lord, we choose to let that go. And we don't want to be people that criticize. We want to be people that cover. Because we're so aware this morning that we need to be covered by Your grace. Like David said, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. We pray that as we extend grace to others, that we'd know this life-changing grace transforming our hearts and lives. You know, just before I close this morning, one of the amazing things about our God is whenever we reveal weakness to Him, He covers it. It's kind of counterintuitive because we, sometimes when we think we're putting ourselves out there that we could be criticized or condemned, so we kind of tend to hide a little bit, but you know, God's heart when He sees weakness is always to cover. And maybe there's someone here this morning and you've been running from God. Maybe you've been distant from God. Maybe you came in here seeking God. And you know what? God's not looking for someone that can understand the gospel, can explain repentance, all of that. He's just looking for someone that has a heart that's saying yes to Him. And if you're here this morning and you, maybe you're just not saying anything to Him maybe you've just been saying no to God but through a simple decision you say man I'm going to start saying yes to God I don't know what he's going to ask me but I'm just going to say yes you want to take that heart position of surrender and faith towards God this morning while every head's bowed and eyes closed if there's anybody here say yeah I want to start saying yes to Jesus come on why don't you just while every head's bowed and eyes closed why don't you just lift your hand so I know who I'm praying for this morning pastor I want to start saying yes to God want to start saying yes to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's say this together, right, church? Say, Jesus, I make a decision today to say yes to you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. Say yes to you today.
Father, we pray that your grace would cover every person that's reached out to you this morning and that the power of your Holy Spirit would transform their life. There'd be a real supernatural transaction in their life this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for Jesus this morning?